Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's start right over. Yeah. Put the intro music and go right and go from there. We'll do it right from the beginning. Okay. You, is that cool? Yep. Okay. Every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's unsportsmanlike convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. Good evening to Le Monde. It is. <laughs> uh, pra- I got to practice my French. It's not going to happen on this podcast. But anyway, it's Thursday, October 17th. We're getting closer to the weekend. Pierre is joining me here remotely from his kitchen, wearing his Habs jersey proudly with a big fat C on the chest. Yes, sir. Is that Guy Lafleur? That is Shea Weber. Shea Weber. He's having yeah. a tough start to his season uh, to the point where they're talking about taking away some of his penalty, uh, power play minutes, surprisingly, since he's got a cannon. But um, we'll get into that a little bit later in terms of the NHL Canadian teams and how they're they're faring in the first two weeks of the season. All right. Well, you have put the script together for us today. You've put the outline together. This is pep stamp all over it. And we're going to roll. Like you said, when we were discussing it, we don't want to keep everybody for two hours so we're going to try and stick to our timelines uh as best as possible but as everybody knows we're not very good at it but i think right we'll give it a shot let's fire off the headline music i think was the best uh yes. not quite headlines but let's give her headlines uh, well, no, no. social uh, room. <laughs> this is the first edition of our segment called the UC Social Room. All right. All um, right. Issues that may or may not be on the field, on the ice, on the diamond, or on the court. Oh. And there have been a number of them this week. I see. I'll what tell you doing. that right now. I see what you're doing. All right. What do we got? Well, I want to start with the the article I posted on the UC and Pep Talk. Uh, Donald Brashear being, uh, you know. Um, Someone, I guess, spotted Brashear serving coffee at a Tim Hortons. And we were pretty quick to go a specific direction. You know, a couple of people mentioned mental health uh, and or him being broke. And uh, there were a couple of comments on the Facebook page. Nola Fogelin wrote, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, I, I hate to see an article written about somebody kick them while they're down. Lindsay Todd wrote something similar. You know, it's okay to work at a Tim Hortons. You know, it's a good, hardworking job. And all those comments are absolutely like merit. Absolutely. However, that may or may not be the case. The article is so vague. It doesn't specify why he's there. It just says he's there. It says he's working for a guy named Pierre Sevigny, who used to be a former teammate of his in Montreal. Right. It doesn't specify why he's there. Um, so the article is really vague. We can jump to conclusions. Bashir's had some issues with the law, uh, drug bust, uh, possession of drugs, I should say. And uh, I think there was an incident, uh, some, some domestic, whether it was uh, a girlfriend or a fight in a bar. Who knows, right? But uh, nothing, nothing specified. I offered up a different perspective uh, on both pages. I said, look, maybe he just needs something to do for a while while everything calms down. He's, he's in a little bit of hot water. He's got some legal fees to pay. It could be a million reasons. Maybe he's fine financially. Someone mentioned something about uh, an image of him pouring coffee with an Apple watch. 
Like, yeah, we just don't know, too. right? Right. That's my, buddy, my buddy Steve McGlade wrote that. And I, I, like that, we just don't know. So I found it to be a really interesting how we went in a particular direction. I think, you know, in lieu of our um, uh, interview with Ken Tasker, bringing, uh, bringing some light on some of the issues that heavyweights have after their hockey careers, you know, maybe that. What's your, what's your take on that article, having read it after? Well, what I found interesting was that there was a, uh, the initial one that was posted had one sort of flavor to it. And then there was another one in Montreal that had a completely different flavor to it um, and spin on sort of the story. And it was, you know, from Brashear working in Tim Hortons and all, oh, it kind of had that um, uh, tough times kind of feel to it. And then You're the right. other one was like, hey, he's helping out a buddy uh, uh, run this Tim Hortons, you know, kind of like he's a, you know, he's a former NHL star who is looking for something to do. And, you know, he's helping his buddy run a Tim Hortons or whatever. But it, it, it wasn't as much of a down on his luck kind of uh, um, theme to the article. So I think, you're, I mean, you're right. Like, we don't know the ins and outs about it. I mean, Sidney Crosby works at Tim Hortons drive through for commercials and stuff like that. And if you don't see the camera and you're just some dude that takes a picture of Crosby in a drive through you say, whoa, what's going on? He must be really, must be. Uh, gambling away his money and whatever. Anyway, it's all knows, perception. Right? And with today's day and age with social media and how things are um, passed around, it's very easy. And more often than not, there's a uh, a miscommunication, if you will, or, or um, a misperception of a certain situation. And I think that's probably what this is. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to agree with you. I guess we'll know more in the upcoming uh, if they ever if they follow up or if Bashir goes public in the media, we'll find out more. But I found it really interesting the perspectives people took and really some really in, like eye opening perspectives. Good for, good for them. Good for people to step up and say, hey, even if he is working at Timmy's, who cares? And I know a couple of people who own Timmy's franchises. It's no joke. Like yeah. if you own the place, you're there. 18 hours a day until you're, uh, you're actually turning a profit. And then you can hopefully find a manager trustworthy enough for, with your money to uh, be able to leave it in their hands. So it's right. not easy. No, the owners are generally there as often, if not more than the employees. Simon Boulier is a guy that we played basketball with who owns. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he just opened the one near my house. So I do. When I go over, the, I'm in that Tim Hortons as much as he is stuff in my yeah. face. But I see him all the time. <laughs> and he owns five of them. So, you know. They're they're putting the the effort and the work into it, so who knows what he's Wild. doing? Well, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I I'm sure this article will generate nothing, but who knows? Um, next topic, uh, and maybe the biggest out of my four or five points I have here in this social room segment: the situation with the NBA in China when it first happened, when Daryl Morey first uh, tweeted, um, "Fight for freedom, I stand with Hong Kong." I thought nothing of it. I thought there was an overreaction by China. I thought the NBA was really just going to let it die. And, you know, I didn't realize the uh, financial impact this whole situation can have on the NBA to the point where each team's salary cap might get might decrease next year solely based on this particular situation. Uh, There's billions of dollars at stake. Uh, I am an advocate of free speech. I think as long as it doesn't hurt people, as long as it's not racist or sexist, or I'm an advocate of free speech. Even that, people can say what they want. It's hurtful. I don't. I don't want anyone getting hurt. What Daryl Morey said, I thought was just him him exercising his right to free speech. 
And mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm glad to see today the NBA defending Daryl Morey. The China, Chinese government today asked Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, to fire Daryl Morey. And he said no. So um, it's good that the NBA is stepping up in defense of Morey's right to free speech. What I'm really uh, not upset about, I, I just didn't think this particular player would would go this route. And he's been called, quote unquote, a sellout by Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser on PTI. Um, LeBron James posted an Instagram quote last year. It was like a Martin Luther King quote. And uh, it goes, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Now, when, did, when did he post that? Not last year. A year about a about a year ago. Okay, yeah. it was a year ago. About right. a year ago. So it was really unrelated to everything that's going on right now in Hong Kong. And if people aren't aware of what's going on, Hong China, Kong yeah. has um sorry, yeah, Hong Kong has this law where um you can extradite criminals back to China, which is a virtual death sentence in China, right? Like if you're a criminal in China, you're it's not good. Um so I guess the issue there is well you know, you could get yourself, they can go out and seek people that they don't like, put them in jail, send them to China, and they can die just because they don't like them. Or if they have family in China who are in hot water, um, Chinese people can extradite people from Hong Kong. It's, it's, a, it's a weird law. They were supposed to disband the law. It, they haven't yet. That's why the people are protesting. So there's a lot going on. I'm not a, I'm not a professional on this stuff, Brock. I don't know politics too much, especially in, China, in the, the, that part of the world in Asia. But no, it, people's certainly people's freedoms and rights are being uh, being tested, and this could be a blessing in disguise. This is the first time we've really seen a sort of seedy underbelly of China. Like we don't, when it comes to sports, it's always been they're not really involved in anything in terms of hockey, football, or baseball. Baseball a little bit, but basketball really is the one sport where they're involved in North America. Otherwise, I don't hear too much about China. So this whole situation's really uh, shed a light on. Chinese North American relations, uh, it's not good. I think Donald Trump hasn't helped that situation. But what's going on with LeBron James and him saying, Adam Silver, we should probably not talk about this anymore? They're calling LeBron James a sellout because he's essentially telling his players, don't talk about it. We don't know what's going on in Hong Kong. We, sh- we shouldn't talk about it. There's a lot of money at stake for LeBron James, correct? Yeah, he makes, uh, well, his relationship with Nike. Now, Nike has a very big, um, I don't want to say Chinese influence, but they're influenced by, like, when you say China doesn't have a lot of say in a lot of other sports and they're not really involved, you don't hear about that stuff, they make all the uniforms. They make everything that is sold, every apparel. I'm, I think it's got to be at least 95% come out of China. But LeBron's got a contract with Nike that's $32 million a year annually. It's a lifetime deal that could be worth upwards of a billion dollars. Like, the thing with LeBron is that it's our perception of athletes. Like, he's kind of in a lose-lose situation, and most athletes kind of are. Either you don't say anything, and you're like, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, you don't say anything in terms of really expressing your opinions because you're really you're protecting your brand as much as possible you know i know both those guys have had their issues anyway but they're not going into the political arenas and get and voicing their opinion on certain subjects like this they would get you know 
criticized for not doing that. For, for an athlete that has as much influence as those two guys, they would get criticized for not, um, not speaking up. And I think the, the people who are criticizing them are expecting them to speak up in a certain way to support their, their uh, ideologies. But they would get criticized. But now LeBron and somebody who does you know, speak up, no matter what, whoever you're speaking up against is is going to criticize you. It's just it's a it's a lose lose situation for most athletes anyway, and uh, I don't know. It, it's tough as an athlete. You would want to probably just say, you know what, I just want to keep my 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 head down and just let the 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 uppers handle that. But a guy like LeBron, who does a lot of very good things with his career and his spotlight and his his popularity, you know, with schools, all that kind of stuff, doesn't have that same mentality. And I can respect him for it. Uh, you know what? I the way you the way you put that, I is sort of you know giving me another perspective. My my only beef with LeBron is that you know he was very quick to support Colin Kaepernick and some of the things that were going on, the social injustices within the United States. And he was a huge advocate of that, but it didn't cost him any money. Um, this is a very, very serious situation in Hong Kong. It's, in fact, probably worse in terms of social injustices. But LeBron stands to lose quite a bit of money. I would have just assumed he didn't, wouldn't have said anything. I just, you know, even as a leader, as a, as a leader of the NBA, a representative, I mean, this was a, this was a tweet by an owner. It really didn't affect the players uh, I, I, if I was him, I just wouldn't have gotten gotten involved. I would have just not said anything about Daryl Morey. I wouldn't have said anything. He mentioned, basically said Daryl Morey didn't know what he was talking about. That's what that's what LeBron well, said. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, and that's that's the other thing too is the interpretation of LeBron's comments. Now I don't have the soundbite now to play it, but he doesn't really go like he says. Okay, he shouldn't have said that, and uh, within the terms of the GM, but. He doesn't go and support what's happening either. He doesn't, um, yeah. you know, he's he's doing the quote where he, is he not a day or two from going to China to play basketball? Was it not a couple believe, of days yeah. before that? You know, so if he doesn't say anything, then these people are looking at him like, well, you must support what he's saying. Because if you don't say anything, you, you might as well be supporting it. So if he says something where he says, okay, you know, Again, it's interpreted differently from some people, but I I didn't take it as he was really going against him and saying, well, I agree with the other side of it. But he's also trying to mitigate a little bit of issues where there's got to be some nerve saying we're going to China because, you know, we're talking about the extradition and the issues in China. Well, if you're in China, I don't care what nationality you are, what, what uh, you know, professional player you are. If you piss off the wrong people, I would be extremely nervous that I never leave China. Yep. Yeah, you know, listen, that's a valid argument. Yeah, sure. Totally. And again, I don't get me wrong. I think this whole thing is crazy. Like, I actually think the whole thing is just upside down. It's one guy, but he happens to be the, uh, you know, the uh, GM and you know, owner of, uh, of the most popular team in China because of Yao Ming. Yao Ming. Yeah. So what are you going to do? I, it's crazy. Anyways, right. uh, I'm glad that you brought up that perspective. I was really... I was uh, really yucky taste in my mouth with uh, what LeBron was, what what he's been doing the last couple of days. And he is, he is flat out perceived as a sellout right now. I, I'm sure that it'll all die down. I'm sure once the, the NBA season actually starts and uh, you know, they go, they go to business, this will go away by no means. I do. I think he's a sellout. I think he's protecting himself. 
it's very, very touchy right now. This is a this is a oh, big yeah. deal for the NBA. It's a big deal for the NBA. No, nothing else other than low attendance could cost owners, uh, or could could cause owners to drop their salary cap. It's crazy. Anyway, right. moving on. Uh, you brought this up li- uh, yesterday. A minor league coach was fined five hundred bucks for beating a team thirty six zero. It's a football game. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Just in a couple minutes, I don't really have much thought on this other than I. It's thirty six nothing. It's not a hundred to nothing, right? So this league apparently had a rule that uh, you couldn't beat a team by more than I don't know if it was thirty six nothing or thirty one nothing or some of that effect. And uh, you know, this coach, whatever, handed the ball off, and a kid took it to the house. And of course, I think the the stories I'm hearing is that the coach was yelling at the kid to like go down, but kid scored. So it ends up being, you know, perceived as a blowout. And this youth coach got fined $500. I want to bring up, and uh, Torrey Smith, remember the, uh, the old wide receiver? Ravens? Yeah. So he, yeah. Uh, he commented on a couple of things and made some points, and I thought they were spot on. So the five points that he made in terms of this, it was a youth keystone. So that was the keystone league, I guess. And he, he says they're tripping. He says, one, he says, kids need to learn how to deal with failure. You don't want to get smashed? Play better. I agree, 100%. You don't want to get your ass kicked by more than 36 points? Then you better learn to play better. Life doesn't let up. When it rains, it pours, was number two. Agreed. Again, life lessons. The life lessons that you get from sports, and obviously, you know, I got a lot of mine from football specifically, is some you will not get anywhere else in the world especially at that age until it's too late. Number three, the other kids can't give their all because there's a rule, work hard, but not too hard. He's like, that's stupid, which again, I get. If you're going to teach your team to play hard, to play every single down as hard as your first down, how do you, how do you teach them to now let up because it's 31 nothing? Or anyway, that I agree with 100%. And he basically, he went on to say, you know, if you truly want to have a slaughter rule, simply stop the game. So when it gets to 31 nothing, boom, game's over. That way, the coach that's doing his things properly, and again, I'm not saying that the coach that's losing isn't, but if the kids that are responding properly have the game finished, they've played hard the full game, boom, it's over. You never learn to let up. And the other one, too, it's, he makes a point where, and I use it from this area, too, it's hard enough to find youth coaches that want to volunteer their time to coach. And now you're going to find that coach $500? $500 bucks is no joke. $500, 500 bucks, is no joke to me. That's American. That's like 14000 Canadian. <laughs> but seriously, right. if I'm volunteering and you go and find me 500 bucks, I guarantee I'm not coaching next year. I'm, well, I'm not coaching the next game, let <laughs> alone true. the next yeah. year. Are you kidding me? Right? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I don't quite understand. Uh, how old were the kids, give or take? What, what uh, league was, it like, was like Pee Wee, so it was probably I think eight to ten year olds. Eight to ten year olds. Oh, you know, I've been on the I've been on the wrong end of some ass kickings, and I've been on the right end of some ass kickings in my in my career when I was younger, uh, early high school, and uh, I, I learned some of the best lessons getting my getting my butt kicked at the provincials in grade seven. You know, we. Uh, we got our asses handed to me and I learned a lesson. I, a, I don't want, I don't like the feeling. 
So I'm going to work my tail off the next year to not have this happen. So this uh, this kind of this whole thing kind of leans more towards the uh, that old uh, you know everyone gets an award for participating kind of stuff. It's it's not the exact same argument, but it's like. Uh, that leaves for all of us who've played sports. We don't really like that, that, you know, a particip- participation award or whatever. Hey, just for showing up, you're going to get a medal. This kind of has nope. the same smell, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I'm in the position now where uh, Jackson has started hockey. Savina starting to play some uh, softball and uh, different sports where I know down the pipe. I mean, they've already asked for team fees for hockey for a certain amount of money. And part of that is going to be for trophies and awards. If they are awards for individual accomplishments, that's fine. If everybody gets some sort of plaque at the end. So I'm already in the process of kind of laying the groundwork and subtly putting comments in there that Jackson and Savina can hear me that if it's, this, if this is a, uh, everybody gets the award just for participating kind of thing. I'm like that we throw that sucker out. Like we're not even taking it. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want it in the house. Yeah. All that is is clutter and dust and a waste of money in my opinion. And yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm trying to instill that in them. And so they understand when I do pull it from them and say, this isn't an award. Yeah. And kids aren't stupid. They're like, what are they? They're going to, you're going to have your, uh, you're going to have your parents over and they're going to be like, look, uh, you know, uh, grandpa Rob, uh, I got a, a plaque for playing. You're not stupid. Yeah. Jackson's not stupid. He's not going to show your, your dad a plaque just for playing. So, no, I'm with you there, but a waste of money. That's a good call, actually. The, I didn't even think about it from that perspective, too. The, the plaques should say, congratulations, you paid your league fees. <laughs> give it to the parents. That's pretty. <laughs> I should give you the plaque then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip number four for good, the sake of time. because I have no idea. I had nothing to contribute to that. The, yeah, the, uh, the hockey I, I, found Canada? It, I, I found it interesting. I just found it really interesting that, uh, you know, people are upset about that. I, weird. Anyway, we're not gonna, I won't get into it. Maybe the next podcast we'll get into it when I do a little bit more research on it. But okay, the last good. one, I'm very curious as to what you think. Yeah. Uh, John, John Calipari, um, Kentucky coach, who uh, Chris Bissell might, uh, might appreciate, says supporters of the NBA expanding their draft are trying to ruin college basketball. He claims that those extra rounds in the NBA will get kids to go to the G League instead. The G League is like the NBA sort of farm it's like system. a D League, G League kind of. They're on par. Developmental league, but really, you know, it's just a, a place for players to play. Coach Cal says uh, the system uh, in the NCAA is a much better environment than the G League for kids who are specifically not surefire NBA players. I couldn't agree with him more. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you, I don't know what the salaries are like in the G League. They're peanuts. Especially if there's going to be uh, a form of compensation for college athletes. Um, I think, I mean, the atmosphere, the pressure, the tournament, all that kind of stuff are things that really shape a player. And kids that, may not be identified as surefire NBA talent. Let's use Steph Curry as an example. Steph Curry was not a kid out of high school that was a surefire NBA star, no. right? He was in that tournament. I can't remember what year it was, but I do remember watching every single one of Davison's games because that kid was lighting it up. And that's what put him on the map. And then he got drafted yeah. and then there he is. But if he had gotten drafted earlier and said, oh, we're going to take this kid and put him in the G League and – Guarantee you never would have heard of him again. Exactly. And the percentage of guys who 
get drafted and actually make the team. There's only two rounds. And even in the second round, those guys aren't sure, surefire guys to make the team. Like it's your first round player that you draft. Not 92% sure they make your team. The second round guys are 50, 50 and I'm being generous. Really? So then you want to add a third and fourth round. Those guys are not making NBA teams. They're just not. So in, in, on top of the fact that you you've got this pool of European players coming over it, they, you know, some guys are like the Doncic is a great example of a guy who's way better than any anybody in college. So you got these sort of fringe players who are going to go toil in the G League and learn nothing when they can stay in school and maybe maybe improve their game even. The guys in the G League don't care about these players. Let's make that clear. They're not coaching up these guys, not like NCAA coaches. NCAA coaches will teach them how to be men first or women right. and you know, coach them basketball at the same time. G League is just a, it's going to be just like a business. So, well, the whole uh, purpose, you know, like the, the NBA and MCAA had some sort of agreement where now you got to do a year in, in college. You can't just go from high school, correct? I believe so. Okay. So if you're making everybody go at least one year of college, why would you then make a rule that encourages people who, would be doing two or three or four years of university to leave in the second year. Like that doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive no. to what your first rule was. Yeah, ex- well, that's the whole perp. That's the whole point. It doesn't make any sense what the NBA is trying to do. This goes against everything they're trying to do with the NCAA. And you know, you, you brought up Steph Curry, Steph Curry had a great you know career at Davidson. It didn't last more than a year, but he wasn't, he wasn't anything special in the NBA his first year and a half. Was he only his first year for a half, year? I believe so. A year, maybe two. I think it was only a year. But okay. uh, look, he was he got to the NBA and he struggled. The game was the guys were too big. His game wasn't there yet. His his three point shot wasn't money quite yet. He and uh, Monte Ellis were the backcourt for the Warriors. They didn't make the playoffs for a few years. It, it was only really when they uh, Mark Jackson took over that team where you know they flourished with the with the high flying sort of style of play. But you know. He would have benefited from it. Imagine him going. He was. I don't think he was. I don't even think he was a first round pick. Imagine him going to a second round and not making a team and then toiling in the G League. Anyway, for the record, excellent points there. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of. The, I don't. I think the NBA uh, having extra rounds is ridiculous because the guys you're drafting in the in the second round aren't playing anyways. Steph was there from 2006 to 2009 at Davidson. Yeah. So three years. So three years. I thought he oh, was okay, further because well. anyway. And, he, and even, right, st- even after his on. third year, he he didn't succeed in the NBA right away. So think about right. that. That's crazy. Anyway, I'm glad you brought that up. So that's our first uh, social room segment. That went pretty well. I like it. I'm, no, I just need, I need to find a better intro and some better music for it and something. Cool. We'll work on it. Anyway, cool. we'll just go to break and come back. Yeah. Social room. I like it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And we're back. Social room in the house. Okay, that worked out pretty well. The UC social room. And listen, we're just throwing some stuff at the wall. If it sticks, great. You know, <laughs> just just laugh. Just laugh. Our next segment um, really is more of a, you know, we, we could spend a lot of time on this or we can't. One of the two will happen. If we really wanted to sit down and, and nitpick everything we're about to talk about, we could probably do it for two hours. But I think, again, Time sensitive. We're going to go through a couple of things in our next segment that's called Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo 
P.O. box. And what's the P.O. stand for? Personal opinion. I like it. Uh, you, I don't know what you were doing last night or whatever thing, but no, this was today. Kudos. I like it. Yeah, thanks, man. I, you know, look again. We we'll throw it in the wall. If it sticks, she sticks. You know. I gotta get a, some sort of mail sound, a mail like post, maybe like an yeah, email sending. Right. Anyway, like an old school sort of. <laughs> you've got mail. One you've of those. Got, yeah. Or okay. like super old school is the horse riding in. No, the pony. Okay. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, number one. First topic in our P.O. box. The Nationals are in the World Series. Uh, I'm stoked because, you know, uh, you know, it's Montreal Expos franchise. I know it's been 15 years, but still, they're the, they're the old Expos. I'm, I'm happy. I also love their style of play. I love the fact that they can roll out the two starting pitchers and just dominate seven innings and really not require much from their bullpen, Daniel Hudson. Um, but I love the, their at-bats. Ryan Zimmerman, Rendon, um, Soto. They're just, like, I just love, I love their team. Trey Turner, uh, Adam Eaton, all all just, like, grinder guys, you know? So it's going to be a very interesting uh, World Series. My question for you, Brock, is what's a sexier matchup for them? Playing the Yanks, who are full of sluggers, and really, I think they only have one ace, if you think about it, um, or the Astros, who have... Three, three of their own dominant pitchers in Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Granke. Well, What's a six-year matchup? Granke's on the mound tonight, so I'm curious to see how he does. One, Shudos, you call the Nats, so I'll give you that. I don't Thanks, think you pal. called them in a sweep, um, which I don't think even I saw coming. But they played, Didn't see that coming. They played great. and um, So, okay, so for the sexier matchup, I think from a, an average fan standpoint – you want to see the Yankees. You want to see the traditional pitching versus the the big hitters and see that matchup. For the a little bit more advanced fan, um, and me personally, again, I'm not saying I'm an advanced fan, but I'm at a point now where I do want to see the next step. I want to see the Astros because the Astros bring a very good pitching rotation as well. And I think the the strategy of when you pitch a player when you rotate them, when you bring guys in, the stuff that's outside of the straight, your strength pitcher versus your strength batter, all of the other uh, aspects of the chess match are what I think would be very intriguing in a Nats-Astros series. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah, you know, and I think when you look at the the matchups, um, that's, that's sexy too. Like, I mean, hey, listen, I'm a huge fan of rolling out a starting pitcher who can get you seven and, uh, you know, the, this whole like starter, what, what teams have been doing, the, the, the trend in the uh, majors has been this, you know, the, the starter, right? The guy who throws an inning or two and then you start rolling out bullpen guys. Well, guess what? You know, the, the teams that tried that have been doing that in the uh, in the regular season. They're not they're not there anymore. It's just yeah. the two teams that can roll out starters. And I do think the Astros are going to pull it out. And I do think it's going to be we're going to look at the five best pitchers in the majors and no offense to Clayton Kershaw but these are the five these are the five best guys for sure and let's not forget the uh, the Nationals can roll out Patrick Corbin who's a really good lefty and Anibal Sanchez who's got World Series experience with the Tigers so like they go a little just a tad deeper than people think and it's exciting you know my concern for the Nationals is that if any of those starters get in trouble they don't have a whole lot in the pen so Right. Uh, that's where, you know, uh, advantage Astros. Astros can roll out Aaron Sanchez from the pen for crying out loud. So let me ask um, you something before we switch from the baseball. 
What's your feeling on like baseball playoffs? I know you like baseball playoffs. So do I. The playing baseball in October when it's it's cold and guys are wearing like the ski things in the back and the you know the big mitts and whatever. Like, what's your thoughts on that? It just seems I, unnatural. I don't, like I don't like it. Okay. I, I why doesn't why don't the league start? I mean, I don't even know. Can they even start any earlier? It's if April first. They don't right? need 162 games. I'll go on that forever, but yeah, they don't need 162 games. You know, have it done a month earlier. You can even add teams in the playoffs. So instead of a yeah. one-game wild card, you know, have a even if it was a best of three. Who yeah. cares? Something else where you would make revenue back from that alone than the twenty-seven. Uh, games you have to start at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday yeah. afternoon where you're getting nobody in the stands. Who cares? Nobody wants that. Yeah. Uh, listen, you, uh, ben, I couldn't agree more. Like, I don't even know what to, I can't even add to that. 140 games. They shave off 22 games. They add two teams and two best of three or best of five series in the first round to make up for the games that they lose. In fact, I'll probably still end a lot earlier than they, than they're ending now. So yeah. yeah and Yeah. You know, because we're looking at what would you consider Washington a big market for baseball? Uh, it's tough right now because you think, yeah, but they're having a lot of success. So every team that has some success is in a big market. I think Washington has the ability to be a big market, um, but they also don't scream big market to me. It's a funny, it's a funny city. Like I know the Redskins have been so bad for quite a while now and the players and coaches just don't like being or, or working for Dan Schneider, you know, and I look at the wizards, even in their, a couple of years that they had success with wall and Beal, they draw funny crowds. It's not very exciting. You could hear a pin drop at some of their games. The capitals seem to be the, t- the real team that have been consistently uh, you know, a, a team to watch in Washington. And now I think the Nationals are really going to flip the script here. I love what's going on in Washington. I actually, I love it. I love it. I, you know, it's a, it is a, a, a bit of a dull city for basketball. You know, even the, the Hoya games, they play at, uh, they play where the Wizards play. That's their home court. Um, yeah, you know, anything to do with like are, the political aspect. Like you think Ottawa is kind of, kind of the same. Yeah, we're, you know, yeah, we're sure. in that political hotbed of Canada. Washington's that political hotbed in the States. You know, is it just more, less people maybe uh, are interested in sports or it's just they're very, you know, like they're, I don't know what it is, yeah. but the Washington, Ottawa has that same type of feel where Ottawa could be a big market. They have a lot of people, but I just find it's, uh, it's what have you done for me lately? Um, yeah. And if we're winning, everybody's on board. If you're not, hey, we'll do something else. Great comparison. Great comparison. Uh, okay, next topic. Uh, NFL coaches on the hot seat. And I, I've listed out... Actually, I studied every single team and every single record. Um, and I just feel like the ones I've listed are really the ones that could be on the hot seat. Um, so why don't we just go through them and we'll just go maybe just a quick yay or nay. So uh, for me, starting with uh, Adam Gase, does he get a pass because he's been missing his QB the last four weeks? I know they had a big win against Dallas. That's a, I don't care. It might, as, as tough a loss as it was for Dallas, it's a huge win for, for the Jets, you know, beating a, a, a notable team with a lot of talent. Um, maybe that gives the Jets that extra confidence to go in there and start winning some games because that was a big win for them. 
Yeah, and Gase wasn't just missing his quarterback. He was missing his star tight end, who should be back soon. They were missing a couple guys on defense. I know even Quinton Williams was was out for two or three games. Like, they were missing key guys. And you can see that they're starting to turn a little bit of a corner. I, I don't think Dallas is as bad as... Um, I don't know how to phrase that exactly. Like the Jets are good. It's not that the Dallas is that bad that a shitty Jets team can beat them. It's that the Jets are turning it on. And I think yeah. they're starting to play a little bit better and having, you know, uh, Darnold back in the, in uh, Made running a big the show difference. makes him respect the pass a little bit. Robbie Anderson gets deep. That opens holes for Le'Veon Crowder's a short run. Like their offense is going to start to click now that he's back in and their defense is, you know, they, they added some key guys. So if they get back healthy, I think, I think he's fine. He's not in the hot seat. This is not a Jets thing, but Gase is not in the hot seat. Uh, he's fine. You know, I really like uh, one player before we move on to the next team. But I really like uh, Ty Montgomery. He, they In Green Bay, they used him as running back when they were, well, it was a war, it was an attrition, really. They just, he was the next man up. They had lost all their running backs. But he's a bit of a Swiss Army guy, Swiss Army knife. You know, like he can he can run the ball. He can, you know, maybe do an end around. He's a slot receiver. He's got some wheels on the on the outside. He's an interesting guy. I'm, I, I actually didn't realize they had picked him up. So he kind of fits that Le'Veon Bell style in terms of you can you can put him pretty much anywhere on the field except tight end. Um, Gase really likes uh, him cool. too. So yeah. All right. Um, this next guy, he's been on the hot seat I think for two decades. <laughs> it's hard to tell what's going to happen here. But is Jason Garrett just simply untouchable because Jerry Jones loves him? I think he's untouchable because I don't know who was saying they're like, oh, it's probably uh, Jerry Jones is probably feeding half the plays down to Garrett and Garrett's just like his puppet and calling the plays that Jerry Jones wants him to. So until Jerry Jones is ready to take his foot off of his neck and control everything and let somebody else run it, uh, Garrett's job is fine because he does what Jones wants him to do when he's ready and he wants to relinquish some of his uh, power to somebody else, then he'll get a coach in that um, would be better suited than Garrett to actually run a show. Very interesting. That's an inter- that's a hot take. That is a hot take. Do you have a button for that? A hot button take or <laughs> no? Uh, applause. Just I got nothing. Applause. Yeah. What about the, the horn? Give the horn. No horn. I gotta work. I gotta get some more Horn's of these good. things. Yeah. All no right. man, you've got plenty. It's great. Dan Quinn. I've been talking about Dan Quinn since the off season. He's yeah, preseason, I should say. He's out. He's, He's out. He's out oh, like yeah, he's as out. soon as when they're one and four. Uh, he'll last the season probably, or maybe a couple of games at the end. But uh, I just don't think they're they're not going to find anybody else uh, in mid season. I don't know if there's anybody who's ready to take that role, but he's he's I think he's as good as done. What's their problem? All the talent in the world. Super Bowl a couple of years ago, really with the same team. In fact, probably more talented on offense. What's wrong? Well, that might be the actual reason right there is that you have the exact same guys that went all the way to the Super Bowl and had your will broken slowly and in front of your face and the owner saw it and everybody saw it and everybody felt it. And there's, you're just, they're just broken. Like there's no way to come back from that. And unless you bring in some new blood with guys that are excited, I think you get that same mental or that same feeling in the thing that's like, ah, we are broken. Oh, Brock, you're bringing the heat tonight. Let's, you know what? You got to give me the horn. I need to have my own horn. I don't, I'm, it, it, it loses its effect when I ask you to horn it's you. It's so that's weird. Uh, anyway, uh, Anthony Lynn from the Chargers. Um, 
preseason sexy pick to win the West, uh, Super Bowl contender, they look nothing like a Super Bowl contender against the Steelers. Like right. Steelers are a depleted. They're a desperate team, yeah, but they are. The Steelers look like a Super Bowl contender on Sunday. Like this was this is ugly. And I know they lost Tyrell Williams uh, in the offseason, but like they look they look bad. And Philip Rivers has zero protection. That offensive line is just atrocious. So is Anthony Lynn on the hot seat at two and four? Uh, I have the odds are very low for him to come back. I think just you said it yourself. They had very high expectations. They were coming in hot. They got one of the best running backs in the league. Yeah, he held out for a bit, but he's back now. What's that change? You got a quarterback who, I don't want to say in his prime, but those quarterbacks should be mentally way ahead of any defenses that are out there. That's why you're seeing Brady and Rodgers and those guys really excel. Rivers should be in that category, even though his throwing motion is atrocious. And, you know, I'm a Tebow fan. So you're going to tell me that Rivers is... Uh, robotic shoulder motion. He throws a good deep ball, whatever. But the best part of that game, the Chargers and Steelers, was when Rivers threw that last pick and got really mad and grabbed the guy and whatever. Uh, I for some nobody likes anyway. Not nobody likes Rivers. I can't stand Rivers. I don't know what it is. Uh, anyway, uh, I think he's I, out. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a Philip Rivers fan. You know. What I thought was absolutely nuts, and, and Steelers fans travel well. The whole league knows it. The whole uh, everybody who knows anything about football knows the Steelers fans travel really, really well, but not that well. That stadium was seventy percent Steeler fans. In fact, if you have you ever been to a Pittsburgh game, I in have Pittsburgh? not. So, usually in the third quarter, they play Renegade by Sticks, and it gets the crowd going nuts, and. Um, it's not. It's actually nuts. And there's some YouTube clips of uh, the 2008 playoff game against the Ravens where they put Renegade on to start the fourth quarter and Paul Lumalo makes an interception. It's nuts. Well, I don't know whose bright idea it was in L.A., but somebody played Renegade in the third quarter at <laughs> in L.A. I feel so, like uh, they sold Steeler jerseys, and at halftime, everybody went and bought them because they were so embarrassed by how the Chargers were playing. Well, I mean, that's craziness. And I know the Chargers are moving to uh, a nice new big stadium next year, and they're going to share it with the Rams. Um, and that stadium they're playing in is like a soccer stadium. I, I, like, I don't know what's going on in L.A. All I know is that they probably can't get out of that stadium any faster. It's not drawing any fans. And when they do, they cheer for the other team. So, all right. Uh, Zach Taylor, uh, coach of the Bengals. They're 0-6. Does he get a bye this year? I think expectations were low. They are transitioning a bit, but if you look at their offense, other than AJ Green, they have most of the same guys back. Yeah, newsflash: AJ Green is their offense. <laughs> I wish I had a horn. <laughs> it's true though. AJ Green yeah. in the lineup versus AJ Green not in the lineup. I don't know what the stats are, but I'm pretty sure they're ridiculous. I mean, they 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 beat Seattle if they have AJ Green. They win. They beat a couple of teams actually. They were they've been in most of the games except the Steeler game. They were in most of the games. Um, they're missing their playmaker for sure. And Tyler Eifert just doesn't look like the same guy. I think injuries have maybe finally caught up to him. It's hard to see, but oh, so you, Zach Taylor safe uh, for this for, year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, same goes for Mike, Flo- uh, Mike Flores. Is it Mike Flores? The Miami coach Flores. Yeah. What his first name is. I don't know. Is he safe? I know that they suck too, but I mean, you know, he's been dealt maybe the worst 
roster in the well, for sure the worst roster in the league, but one of the worst rosters I've seen in the years. Um, does he last a season? Yeah, the Miami front office and those who have hired Flores know damn well they're giving him no support whatsoever, and so. If they did fire him, then they're just a bunch of douche. It's like if I said, Pep, build me Pep, Pep, build me a home. And then as you're building the home, I start taking your hammer, your saws, your wood. <laughs> and then I say, you know what? You're fired because you didn't build me a house. I say, what the fuck? You're taking all my tools. It's the same thing that's in Miami. So they he should be fine. Just go ahead and press the horn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, wow. That's and uh, funny. They're starting. Fitz, Fitz Magic is back in the saddle to start this week again. So great job, Josh Rosen. Um, yeah. Brock Osweiler retired. <laughs> that's he'd rather retire than be third string. That's enough said. Is he not made enough guaranteed money anyway to move on and do something that he actually enjoys? Make a few more bucks. <laughs> See out the season. Make a few more bucks. And uh, him and Jamarcus <laughs> Russell are starting a podcast. We made all this cash and didn't play a fucking down. (laughs) Laughing all the way to the bank. Freddie Kitchens. Interesting one. He's fine. Look, a lot lot of pressure in Cleve. The fact that there is pressure in Cleveland is a good sign. Because the last 20 years, there wasn't any pressure. Because nobody had any any expectations, any hope, any anything. So the fact that there is expectations is good. He's, again, it's new. They're going to give him some time. The question is, does Tomlin end up in Washington? Uh, I was just going to ask you, Mike Tomlin's the next guy on my list. I don't think he ends up in Washington. No, um, I don't think he wants, he'll want to work for a guy like Dan Schneider. I, my question to you is this, does the Roethlisberger injury save Tomlin's job? Because really any wins he gets this year is, is like gravy. If, if Ben is healthy and they finish seven and nine, six and 10, are we looking at Tomlin's exit? You know, I think there's something to be said with how long a coach stays with a certain team and how stale the message can get year in, year out, if you're hearing the same thing over and over. Now, Pittsburgh is very traditional in terms of their turnover of star players, at least, you know, like the key guys, doesn't happen very often. You guys have a very solid foundation. You guys draft guys in there, but then you you, you hang on to them. You don't lose a lot of guys other than yahoos like Brown and Bell and, and those kind of things. But for the majority, the team doesn't want to lose those players. So they've done a very good job of maintaining that. That being said, those guys are now there for a decade playing under the same coach with the same uh, sayings, with the same um, attitude, with the same everything. It just kind of, it's it's stale. And sometimes I think that could run its course within a locker room. And even if he does win, it's like, okay, we just got by, but it might be nice to have uh, a fresh Outlook, a fresh leader, come into that locker room, really try and rejuvenate the talent you guys had before it kind of gets too late, and then see what happens. I, I, For some reason, I feel like the Steelers are kind of stale in that aspect, and yeah. and I think it's time for a change. Most fans do feel that way. And I, you know what's funny? If you look at their 
their coaching history, they're unlike any other team. And I'm not saying that because they're my favorite team. It's fact. Chuck Knoll, his last year was 1989. You know, they won a playoff game, but, but you know, the years before that, they were brutal in the 80s. Uh, he was he was let go. Uh, no, sorry, I think he was... Jeez, I'd have to find out if he was fired or let go, but Bill Cowher took, uh, took over after that, 15 years there, and he uh, wasn't fired. He retired. And now it's Tomlin. We're talking three coaches over the span of 40-some years. What other franchise has had that in any sport? Is there any, there's no, I don't think there's any, any team in any sport that has had three coaches over the course of 45, 50 years. Yeah, I'd have to check. I feel like there'd be college football there somewhere. But. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yes, that's for sure. For sure. And I think that is more like a system... Uh, a recruiting system, a, a way of life, a way of things. This is how we do it. But that's also counter to what I was just saying in terms of a stale environment. With college, you don't have a stale environment. You have four years of that coach, then boom, you're out. Next guy in four yeah. years. That's the max. Yeah, so absolutely. you don't have guys getting into that stale uh, issue where you need to turn over. It's the players' turnover versus the coaches. Yep, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Doug, Doug Marone, Jacksonville. Two and four. Uh, I think he's fine. Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. That's a very interesting one. They're two and four. They've just benched Marcus Mariota. They've showed me nothing since beating Cleveland week one. What's yeah, the deal with uh, Vrabel's the, what? Is this year two with them? I think it's year two. Yeah, his, his second full year. He, they're two and four as well. Yeah, again, that's fine. I think now it's just now he has um, substantiation to demand trades or try and upgrade his quarterback position because Mariota hasn't done it. So now he can he can go to the uppers and say, look, I need to get some control and start to bring in some other players. But overall, that team's not bad. No, they're not bad at all. And we talked about uh, Tannehill getting his opportunity if Mariota faltered. We, we talked about that in the preseason. Say, hey, look, he, he has faltered in the past. He's been injured even too. And, you know, guys like Blaine Gabbard have come in. I thought... I thought getting Tannehill was sneaky smart. And I had a feeling he'd get his chance at some point. I thought it would be more due to injury, but um, let's see what uh, Tannehill has. He led Miami to a 10-6 and record a few years ago and brought them to the playoffs with you know, uh, a, a team very much like Tennessee. So we'll see what happens there. Anyway, there's our NFL coaching hot seat um, rundown. Um, last point here on our, uh, on our, in our P.O. box segment. Just really quickly, we're going to go. I want to go over a couple of Canadian teams in the NHL, and the first week is come and gone. And uh, I think it's the NHL is funny. A lot of the teams, good or bad, sort of hover in or around 500 because of these records the, the, you know, the, the, the win, the loss, the overtime loss, overtime win, and the points and the way it's set up. It's, it's very, it reads like a, like a lottery ticket. But so everyone sort of hovers around 500. So it's really hard to tell. Uh, or see teams separate from the pack until usually after the All-Star break. But, you know, I'm looking at all the records for the Canadian teams and everyone's above 500 except the Sens. And uh, my question to you, Brock, is um, who's going to pull away from the pack, Sens and Oilers aside? Because the Oilers are 6-1 and and they're first in the, uh, I believe they're in the Pacific. Um, But everyone else is, is hovering around 500. Do you see the Leafs, Habs, Flames or Canucks and Jets maybe uh, breaking away, getting worse or better? you have any feel for any of those teams? Um, so a sen- sends aside, you said, because they'll definitely break away from just, the rest of the NHL. 
Yeah, they look really bad and they look unmotivated and they're drawing four or 5,000 fans. It's not good in Ottawa right now. So let's, well, we can save an Ottawa talk for another day when we'll get a Sens expert in there. But um, let's talk about the Jets. Maybe uh, Bufflin report out of uh, Winnipeg says he's considering coming back. Oh, that'll be huge. Um, The biggest surprise to me so far has been the Oilers and how well they've been playing. Um, Coaching change. The coaching change, the the Neil Lucic trade is, uh, my God, it's looking like Edmonton are geniuses. It's the best thing that's happened to him since uh, for James Neal since he's been to Calgary and it's changed yeah. over. I mean, he's back into his wheelhouse exactly how he plays. Lucic is just running around right now trying to make an impact somewhere, but he doesn't seem to be finding that either. So uh, Lucic will fade uh, Neil is just on fire, and McDavid oh, just yeah. looks ridiculous. But they, they've been the biggest surprise for me as the Oilers have been taking off. I think we're going to see – you brought up the Devils as being, uh, what, they got two points or something right now? Devils, uh, Sens, and Wild. Yeah, so the Sens will continue to stay there. The Wild, can't really give you an opinion because I don't care. The Devils will gel uh, very soon, I think, and they'll start to roll once they kind of get all those pieces – fitting together because they have them. It's just a matter of getting them all on the same page and working together. And I think the devils are going to be, uh, are going to be fine. Same with, uh, you know, the Leafs, you know, when you start bringing in bigger guys, bigger names and, and bigger pieces, it takes a little longer to get them to fit in properly. But once they do, it starts to roll pretty good. So you'll see some, uh, some of those teams take off. I think the Leafs will be fine. Yeah, and I, and I I would say we're about two and a half or three weeks early for this conversation. But you oh, know, yeah. I, I just I'm always about I'm all about the Canadian teams in the NHL. I, I like following everyone and see how they're doing. And uh, you know, the, I think the Canucks are going to surprise some teams. I think they're they're lots they're fast team on the ice. Uh, I do think the Flames will will gel Lucic or no Lucic. Neil wasn't a good fit there, so it may have just done both guys a world of good. And we'll see how he does in Edmonton. Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL right now. He's Ugh. just all oh, five points last night. Somebody posted a seven-second clip of him. Seven seconds. What do you think he does in seven seconds? I don't know. What, what do you do? From in front of his own goalie crease. Boom. Starts. He sees. Oh, it's just following him. He doesn't have the puck. You can see somebody's coming to the left wing. He starts skating. And all of a sudden, it's a pass of some sort, whatever. And he just turns into second gear, runs around the defenseman, lifts the defenseman's stick, and shoots the puck in the net. All within seven <sighs> seconds from end to end. Doesn't even have it on his stick until after the uh, the offensive blue line. But it's just, it was on loop, and I was just mesmerized watching it. He's He is so fun to watch. Sidney Crosby scored a beautiful goal last night, too. So uh, I love seeing these guys, these superstars, still still play their game. And, yeah. uh, you know, no one's taking cheap shots at these guys. Um, either it's a uh, maybe the culture in the NHL is changing. Maybe the maybe these guys are taking runs as superstars are just thinking twice about it because the goon is sort of out of the game. So I'm really happy to see uh, the Oilers doing well. I love Mike Smith. I just think he's uh, he's going to just solidify the goalie position for them. That's been an issue for them over the last geez, last 10 years. So uh, good on that. So Stay in your crease. Okay, well, let, let's just uh, maybe refrain from going off the, off the, the, you know, the rails off the rails in terms of hockey here. Thanks for finishing that sentence. I got a, my brain just actually froze completely. I just stopped. It stopped in my brain. Hey, it happens. Um, 
Wow. I don't even want to talk about the Habs because I'm just going to get upset. They're just they're, uh, They did not address their defense enough in the offseason. Uh, I think everyone got all hyped up because of Suzuki looked good and Ryan Poling and some of these guys they had last year, plus Jordan Wheel, and their offense is good, but they're still too small for today's NHL, and they don't have the defense. So I'm, uh, I'm worried about my Habs. They're 2-2-2 two, two two right now, and they're playing the Minnesota Wild as we speak. I don't want to turn around because I'll just get pissed off. So um, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we've got – Two more segments. One's a real quick one, and one is uh, Brock's uh, NCAA Inside Scoop College Football. You. And we're back. Uh, Brock's favorite segment uh, is up next. Um, Brock. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brock. <laughs> Brock's enthusiasm for this next segment is basically like my enthusiasm for NCAA basketball. Brock, you're going to give us the NCAA football inside scoop for this upcoming weekend, as well as uh, upsets from the last weekend. Any news weekend upsets from last weekend? Go ahead. All right. Well, the first upset was an upset that was dear to my heart. And by upset, it wasn't because uh, LSU, <laughs> LSU was number five, beat Florida, who was number seven. Uh, so technically not an upset, but uh, yeah, Florida lost 42-28, but I do, I'll give it to the Gators. I thought they played very well. There was a couple, we had a couple of key injuries early on. Our two best pass rushers got hurt. And if you give that quarterback Burroughs any sort of time, that guy was putting balls on, ugh, I should probably not On the money? That. Yeah. Like on the money. coverage was tight. The guys were almost knocking balls down, like literally inches, where if it was an inch the other way, it was knocked down or intercepted, and he was putting the balls in there. So yeah. the guy is actually pretty good. He irritates me, but he's very good. So anyway, so Florida lost. Um, I was curious to see how much they would drop in the standings, um, but uh, pleasantly surprised it wasn't great. It wasn't too bad, so I'll inform you on that. But anyway, so uh, LSU beats Florida. Oklahoma beats Texas 34-27 in the Red Woo! River rivalry. So shout-out to uh, Neville Gallimore, number 90 for Oklahoma. Obviously, he's an Ottawa kid, so I'm always cheering for him. Jalen Hurt. Uh, yeah, Jalen Hurts. Uh, didn't look that great, actually, to be honest, in that game. Uh, not his Heisman performance, but... Uh, it could have been worse. They 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 still played pretty well. Um, a big upset: South Carolina, unranked South Carolina, beat number Gamecocks. three Georgia in double overtime. Uh, normally, I'd be kind of happy about that, but Florida plays Georgia uh, in two weeks. They actually play South Carolina this week, so they got to make sure they uh, they don't overlook those guys. But a double overtime, Georgia had plenty of opportunities to win that game. And uh, they just didn't finish it. So I don't know if Georgia was overlooking it or uh, uh, or what happened, but they did not play well. Anyway, so they... Who, who, coaches, the, who coaches the Gamecocks? Uh, that was... It's a must champ. So the old Florida coach. So their last okay. couple of coaches are all Florida coaches. So it was Spurrier for a while. And and I was then, just going to say, I thought it was Steve Spurrier. No, Spurrier's back in, uh, not head office, but he's up in the Florida Gators uh, program again. Where, oh, good. Right on. Where he belongs. You got a statue, you go back to that school. He's a good football guy. He's a great football guy. Um, Alabama beat Texas A&M. Sure, no problem. And uh, Notre Dame, number nine, Notre Dame. I don't believe they're number nine, but they, whatever. They squeaked past an unranked 
USC team, 30 to 27. Garbage. Uh, that was garbage. Uh, that's a game I watched, and uh, I had just come back from uh, dinner with my family, and uh, USC is now dear to my heart because my uh, brother's brother-in-law is uh, working for USC. I don't have his exact title, but Paul Perrier, congratulations. As long as you have his um, exact email address and phone number, that is yeah. fine. Uh-huh. uh-huh. He's uh, replacing Lynn Swan. Um, that's pretty wild. Whatever Lynn Swan was doing is uh, now Paul's job. So really cool. Um, I'm really happy for him. Uh, USC though, I mean, he's coming in. They all know the USC, the program, the football program is, is, uh, sort of not good right now. Uh, basketball as well. Uh, there's a lot to work on, a lot to fix. There's a lot of issues that, that were going on yeah. before uh, Paul got there. So, uh, I'm, I'm cheering for USC. I thought they had it, man. I thought that I'm like, Oh, oh this is going to be a major upset because they don't have a ton of talent. No, and I was, oh, man, I was all over USC, but uh, nope, they couldn't pull it out. Now, no. USC should get better if uh, California is the only state that's allowed to pay players. They'll be just fine the next couple of years, but I don't think oh, that's yeah. going to happen. Lynn Swan, you know what always remind me of Lynn Swan? Was uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood episode where Lynn Swan was doing ballet. Yeah, Lynn Swan did ballet in the off season to yeah. uh, work on his feet. Yeah, work on his fo- his footwork. He was, you know, he ran the best routes in the NFL. He was he's not a big guy, so he needed to every inch of whatever to uh, to be successful in the NFL. And he he had some serious vertical, but also great hands. But no, ballet was something he did in the off season. Actually, you know who else does ballet? Um, Steve McClendon, the nose tackle for. Uh, I'm not sure if he's with the Jets anymore. He was with the Jets. Um, Stevie McLennan was a sealer and uh, really? off-season workout and th- did ballet. So, you know, fast feet, happy feet. Uh, I've never, I don't know what ballet training is. I, I, I've seen ballet performance, but I don't know what the training is for the performance. So, uh, yeah. Well, anyway. Good on him. Hey, whatever. It's something I didn't do. I could probably not do anyway. So, uh, anyway, the last one for Notables for last week was the Penn State at uh, Iowa, so I don't know if it was nationally televised. Again, another kid from Ottawa, uh, Jesse Lucetta and John Sutherland. So two kids from Ottawa actually played defense for Penn State. Um, you know, it was a ranked game, Penn State 10, Iowa 17. It was a defensive s- struggle at 17-12, Penn State 1. Uh, but I did flip over uh, and make sure I caught the uh, the third quarter wave. Um which at nighttime seemed even more impactful. Uh, anyway, I'm excited yeah. to do that show where we talk about all the traditions of that in, in NCAA football because there's so many ones that I, I just keep forgetting. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Anyway, I have a uh, question. I've had I had a question for you. I have a question for you that it keeps slipping my mind every single week, and I finally now you just reminded me. Um, so before we before I ask you that question. Yeah. You've basically answered weekend upsets and who stocks uh, risen and who stocks fallen yeah. kind of in the same same yeah, breath. I'll go but, over the um, new top ten. But question for you with regards to Penn State: Are they still uh, under sanction for the Joe Paterno stuff? Has that has that come and gone? Uh, I believe it is. It's it's uh, it's over now. Uh, okay, uh, so they can they can anything, go ahead and recruit and do all the. Yeah, if if anything, it might be like a number of scholarship that they may not got back. Um, but I'd have to check. I know like the, you know, they're eligible for bowl games, all that kind of stuff again. So 
So how amazing is it for that program to really not get crippled by by that situation? The year that they they were those sanctions were imposed, they actually played pretty well uh, yeah. with the team that the following year. You know, without with the inability to to recruit or whatever whatever the sanctions were, I don't really recall. But um, kind of happy that, that that program didn't fall apart. That's a kind of Penn State's a big deal in college football. You know, well, I think they learned a lot from the SMU death sentence. Um, so I think a lot of people at the time were anticipating that same sort of reaction and that cripples a program. If you shut it down completely for a year, then you're starting from scratch. Now, Penn State's, again, I have to look into more of the details, but they didn't get the death sentence. So, um, you know, at the time it was Bill O'Brien, I think was the quarter, uh, was the coach, um, you know, fresh out of, uh, you know, New England and that sort of pedigree, he really spoke to the players and got guys to stick around. And I think uh, James Franklin is right up there, too. After O'Brien left and you got a guy like Franklin in there, he's the right guy for that job. I mean, Franklin at Vanderbilt did some wonderful things, but he was always limited by the fact that Vanderbilt wasn't, uh, even though they're in a Power 5 conference, they weren't on the upper half of that conference. Now he's going to a, he's in a situation where they have all the resources, they have all the support, um yeah it's a it's a tarnished uh program over the last little while but um franklin's done a very good job uh in in turning that around so Uh, i was gonna say the that is the if if there's a prototype or a model to follow if if your sanctions are imposed on your on your program any teams listening out there if you need a model to follow i would follow what penn state did i thought uh, they've come out of the uh, the other end like, you know, healthier and smarter and learn from their lessons. And uh, I, wow, I just like I'm I didn't even realize they were they had these sanctions. They've been competitive the last few years. So um, good on the coaches, good on Franklin, good on Bill O'Brien for weathering the storm because it could have been really, really ugly. Like it was really ugly for a little while. That was that was an ugly situation with Sandusky and all that all yeah, that nonsense so. that we it heard. It was ugly, you know, and uh at the time, I was probably thinking that they should have had more of a death penalty style um, sanctions, you know? Yeah. It probably wouldn't have been beneficial for the, the, the greater good. and But at the time, I was just like, shut it down. Shut it down. And, you know, Penn State no longer has a football team. Uh, wild. That was my initial um, Notable games coming up this weekend. Brock, what, what should we look forward to? All right. Uh, quickly, the new top 10 for the AP. Um, Bam is at number one still. They've actually jumped. LSU's jumped from five to number two. So they jumped Ohio State and Clemson in this AP uh, poll. So it's Bama, LSU, then Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Penn State, Notre Dame, Florida, Georgia. That's the top 10. In the coaches poll, just so you know, uh, it's all the same except Clemson and LSU are flipped. So Clemson is still number two in the coach's eyes. LSU is number three. So the fact that LSU jumped Ohio State, I thought it was a very big deal because Ohio State looks ridiculously good. And yeah. so I took it as a bit of a compliment, the fact that LSU has beaten Florida um, as a way of jumping this. So it means that, you know, maybe people aren't as harsh on Florida as I am, or they see something better than I do. I'm, I'm very harsh on them because I expect great things, but anyway, LSU being a number two, um, you know, 
that's Bama LSU coming down the pipe very soon. So, of course, you know, one of those two teams is going to lose. So they're going to be out. So, you know, Clemson has no remaining games that are even worth anything. They play South Carolina the last game of the season. That's the only one where I can say, you know what, maybe they'll have some problems there. So Clemson's schedule is shit. Notre Dame, same thing. They play Virginia Tech is probably the next best thing. But they played Virginia Tech at Notre Dame, so they don't even have to fight the nighttime and the inner Sandman stuff, and that's one that just gives me chills. (laughs) The rest of the games for Notre Dame are Duke, Navy, BC, and Stanford. Who cares? Wow. They played Georgia and Michigan this season. That's the only two teams that are worth even mentioning, but they're still up at number nine. They don't play in a conference. They don't play in a conference championship. Anyway, I can go on a rant on Notre Dame. Um, (laughs) Bama still has LSU and Auburn. Oklahoma still has to play uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Baylor, so their schedule is pretty tight. Uh, Ohio State plays Wisconsin, Penn State, and at Michigan. So they're harder. Two out of three harder games are at home uh, for Ohio State. So that's a huge advantage playing in the horseshoe. Um, LSU still has Auburn, Alabama, and Texas A&M. So LSU's schedule is pretty tough too. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of shakeups in the next little while. Uh, week eight, the games that are uh, of to, to note – uh, Florida plays South Carolina. So that's on my notes. It may not be on yours, but it's on mine. Florida's number nine. <laughs> South Carolina just beat Georgia. So you can't take them lightly. Um, and hopefully their magic has worn off. But anyway, hopefully Florida bounces back. That's noon on Saturday. Same with Clemson, Louisville. There's a chance that Louisville makes this competitive because I don't think Clemson is actually that great this year. They haven't looked as good as they have in the past. So who knows? Maybe Louisville sneaks one in there somewhere. Uh, Oregon, Washington, that's going to be a decent game. 3.30 on a Saturday. That's Oregon 12 and Washington 25. Um, Baylor at 18 is playing Oklahoma State. So that's Chubba Hubbard again. Uh, I'll talk more about him in a second. Uh, that's 4 o'clock. And then um, there's two other games, which is Arizona State, who's ranked 17 at Utah, uh, who's 13. That's a 6 p.m. So I follow Arizona State because Kevin Mawai is coaching for Arizona State. So oh, I love because Kevin I Mawai. follow Kevin and have connected with him at the cool, I, I kind of follow that along. Um, and they've been doing quite well. And then the Kevin last Kevin Mawai, game, ha- sorry, Hall of Famer? Yep, just recently. Yeah. Yeah, just got in, uh, I don't know, it's been a couple months probably. Well-deserved. And uh, the last one is Michigan, Penn State, at Penn State, Big Ten rivalry for sure, uh, a big Big Ten game, but um, I really don't think Michigan has any business being in the game, to be honest. But we'll Brock, see. Brock, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that long ago when that matchup may have been the matchup of the week. Yeah, and it's still it's still up there, you know. But I think after this game, Penn State should beat them. That'll be a two losses for Michigan, I believe, um, which should take them fairly out of it. Their only saving grace at that point will be trying to beat Ohio State to salvage their season. From an alumni standpoint, from Michigan, Ohio State, the biggest thing you get judged on is whether or not you've beaten that other team. So if Michigan loses two games but then beats Ohio State, it's a it's a win season for them. Interesting. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, a notable thing within the top 25, I'll point out that number 24 is actually Appalachian State. So... Who's Appalachian State? They're the ones that beat Michigan a few years back with that blocked field goal at the last yeah. end of the game, and they had a couple of really good upsets. But they're they're 24 right now, so I'll have to look a little bit more into them and see what they're doing right. But uh, the fact that they're at 24 is doing something right. Uh, and the very last thing I'll say about NCAA football, 
before Pep falls asleep. Will no, be, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, they released the mid-season awards. And uh, so the best team award mid-season is LSU. The most improved is SMU. So SMU is actually 6-0 for the first time in 37 years. Wow. Yeah, which is, you know, they were predicted to be fourth in the in the uh, AAC West uh, in the preseason, and they're 6-0 right now. So um, quite good. Uh, the most disappointing team is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Your favorite uniform when you were a kid. Yes. Uh, yeah, Scott Frost. I mean, the expectations of him going in from USC, uh, UCF to Nebraska were huge. They got a lot of very good um, players on the team. They got a lot of a lot of talent. They just haven't done anything. Um, the other nominees for the uh, most disappointing Syracuse was in there as well, which I thought I would uh, bring that up. The best offense right now, midseason, is Oklahoma. There's Jalen nice. Hurts and, and uh, uh, you know Lincoln Riley's program. His offense is is quite stellar. Um, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, and Washington State were all nominees for it, but I think Oklahoma is probably a pretty good bet. Um, the best defense is Wisconsin. You know, a Big Ten uh, juggernaut. The other nominees, Clemson, Ohio State, Oregon, and Penn State. So you're seeing a, a pattern here with Ohio State being nominated for all these things. I think, uh, anyway, I think there's a couple other defenses in there. They seem to be leaning towards Big Ten stuff here. Anyway, I don't know about that. Individual awards, the best player right now is Jalen Hurts. Halfway through the season, Joe Burrows was uh, uh, a nominated, so was Justin Fields. Uh, Coach of the year is for Baylor. You guys don't care. It doesn't matter. But the breakout player of the year halfway through is none other than Chubba Hubbard, the running back from Oklahoma hey, State, Canadian. Canada. Yeah, so it's, uh, I mean, you can't, right now he's got over 1,000 yards. No one's even hit 850 behind him. So um, when you think of a, a breakout player, it, you, it's a no-brainer. Anyway, kudos yeah. to him. Uh, a little Canadian content there. But that's my NCAA football wrap-up. Uh, I think I was talking pretty fast and either people are happy about that or they're not. And if you're not, then hit me up and we'll do a longer session. Hey, let me tell you that my friends is the inside scoop with Brock Fleming. When it comes to NCAA football, there's nobody who follows it closer or, or who knows more than uh, a Mr. Brock Fleming. So Brock, thank you very much for that segment. I'm learning more and more every week. And I, you know, it's the same for me, it's the same four or five teams that have been really, really good the last few years. Um, we think about LSU, Alabama, always there, and Clemson the last couple of years. You throw in a wild card like Auburn every once in a while. Ohio but State. these programs yeah. are doing something right, and it's always those same three or four teams fighting for the championship every year. So You know why, really, though? Uh, you talk sorry. about coaches. You've talked about them before. The reason programs do well is the coaching and the coaching staff. So Alabama yeah. is good. They've had Nick Saban the whole time. Clemson is good. Uh, Dabble Sweeney's <laughs> been there. Urban Meyer, for the most part, with Ohio State. Ohio State's a little bit a little bit different, but they're still the same product. Same with Florida at the time. Florida would, have, Florida would still be a powerhouse right now, yeah. without question, if Urban Meyer had stuck on and not had all the issues off the field with his players. They yeah. would have been it because it would have been a program. It would have been... From that coach down, that philosophy is there. But when you start winning and you win championships, kids that are coming out of high school want to play for those those schools. They want to win championships. They want to go there. So you get the best players, then you win more, then you get the best players, you win more, and it just continues that way. What happens is coaches get 
or whatever Urban Myers thing was. He had an illness, but apparently he was cured when he went to Ohio State. I, I hold no grudges, but whatever. <laughs> um, but if you keep those those coaches and you keep that program rolling, it can go on forever. And look, and it's no coincidence in the NCAA, the, the teams that are always in the Final Four or in the running for the Final Four in basketball are Calipari's team, Mike Krzyzewski's team, and Coach Izzo at Michigan State. They're always there because they've been there forever. They've right. established a program, and players uh, love to go, love to play for them and love to go th- through that program. So uh, a lot of similarities there. Anyway, great segment. We'll take a, one more real quick break, and then we're going to come back with a one-minute Rapid fire. I've got questions for Brock that he's going to shoot off answers, and then we're going to call it a night. Oh, man. One minute. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right. We're back. I didn't even stop the recording, Pep. I'm watching Casey oh. Denver, and this just in. Mahomes is walking to the locker room. There's another quarterback in for Kansas City right now. Oh, what? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is walking into the locker room. So I don't know exactly what happened, but we got oh. uh, more. Which more Breaking is Breaking news. Which more is playing for Kansas City again? Uh, Matt Moore. The Matt back, Moore. Used to back up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Used to back up Tannehill in Miami. He wasn't throwing, so I didn't know if it was a was it Kellen Moore, the other guy, the left-handed guy from Boise State. Yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a coach now, actually. Nah, probably. Um, anyway, Matt Moore okay. is in. Matt Moore is in. Uh, he's not afraid to throw. He's and he throws a good deep ball. Uh, they're they're first in goal right now. I think right. Yeah, there's no deep balls there. And you know well, here, me- Kansas City Chiefs. For those players that are listening to us, which is nobody, Travis Kelsey was the only guy <laughs> to wear yellow gloves for the last few years. I could always pick him out. He's my fantasy guy. Now everybody's got yellow gloves. Stop it. Way, way to go. Way yeah, to go, Kelsey. Way to ruin it for everybody. All right. This is going to be interesting. Listen, this uh, this game is huge for Denver. If they win, they're three and four, and they're right back in the mix. And they were my pick for the West, so I still think they have they, they're going to salvage this season because Flacco is a good quarterback. But this is a big night for them. And if Mahomes is legit hurt, this is the window that Denver needs to just break right through. I mean, they've got to win this game. So, all right, last segment. It's going to be quick, Brock. All right. Most of these questions are yes or no answers. Uh, there's, I think, one or two where you can maybe elaborate if you'd like, but uh, we'll try to make this um, short te- and sweet. You're so telling me not to elaborate. Okay, gotcha. Well, it's it's a minute, but I'm not. There's no stop clock, so it, this could end up being an hour. Well, I'm trying to. <laughs> we'll aim for a minute. All right, all right. Are you market set go? Who wins the Great Cup? Saskatchewan. It's going to be a repeat. Saskatchewan. <laughs> Hamilton from ah, 1989. Ah. Tony Champion with that catch in Ridgeway, driving it through. Anyway, Saskatchewan's going to win. Oh, folks, I know I said a minute, but Brock and I did not rehearse that. Love you, buddy. Uh, will the XFL last longer than a season? History says no, uh, but I think the timing is right if they do it properly. The uh, the ref issues in the NFL right now is really hurting the momentum from, from a fan standpoint of that league. And I think if they come out and, and actually run a league that is respectful and not the sideshow that they tried the first time, hey, Anything's possible. Hey, my only concern with the XFL is that they've got teams in major markets. They should have gone for the San Antonio's and the Kentuckys. They should have gone that route for their first uh, first season. I don't know why they're going to compete with the big markets, but they, they went ahead and did that. Um, do you give the president a pass for he and his staff mispronouncing Craig Berube and Alex Pirangelo? 
I don't give the president a pass for anything he says. <laughs> Favorite football memory from your playing days? Yeah, this one was uh, was tough. <laughs> Basically, it, it all has to do with family and friends. So uh, I can go back to uh, my first season with the University of Ottawa when I came back, uh, getting a chance to play and have my grandparents at the games all the time. Um to my first game at the University of Sherbrooke where they just got the team back. They'd never won a game before. They scored one touchdown the season before. Uh, you know, Ange and her girlfriend showed up and they had, you know, spelled my name in their shirts. And, uh, you know, my brother was up there. You know, everybody was up for that game. We actually won it. Place went nuts. It was a night game. The atmosphere was great. Um, you know, everybody's half in the bag. It's all sponsored by beer. It was, it was a... Uh, <laughs> the stadium was beautiful. Again, that was great. And then, uh, uh, you know, my first game when I was wearing a Montreal uniform and we were in Ottawa playing uh, uh, an exhibition game. And uh, I remember being on the sidelines. And uh, do you remember uh, Beverly Melnick? Yes. Yeah. So I'm on the, she had tickets like 10 rows behind our bench. And I guess she didn't know I was playing for them. But all, at one point, all I hear was, Brock? Brock Fleming and she's screaming it and my buddy next to me is like I think she's trying to get your attention I'm like yeah no kidding I turn back and she sees me and just goes nuts anyway that was one but that that game too again you know seeing my mom and dad in the stands and then my uncle was there again Curtis has been to Curtis is one of those guys the relationship from brother to brother and you have a brother same probably ideas um I get more out of trying to make him proud than I do probably anybody else but having him like in all those moments is, uh, you know, it's, that's my football career. Curtis has been there since day one. I mean, my parents have too, obviously, but from a, a different level. Um, anyway, those are my, my three, but it was hard to really narrow down to like one specific one. And it has nothing to do with winning championships or, um, you know, it was nice to be all Canadian and get, you know, that, those kind of weekends. But uh, it's all has to do with family, friends and, and uh, sharing those moments with them. Very cool, brother. What do you prefer to watch, boxing or UFC? Uh, I guess UFC. Um, I don't watch either too closely anymore, but a George St. Pierre UFC fight um, was probably one of the most... I got fired from the standard for going to watch a George St. Pierre (laughs) UFC fight across the street and not work my door because he didn't have it on. And I was okay with it because it was George St. Pierre fighting. That's wild. Um, should the should the NFL get rid of all kickoffs? Uh, they're working towards that anyway. All the new rules and stuff like that are to take the kickoffs out of it um, while still keeping the option of doing an onside kick in play um, until you have a substitute for those kind of plays. So there has been a suggestion of doing like, a, you know, okay, so we've scored a touchdown. It's within, you know, five minutes of the end of the game. You get the ball, like at your 20-yard line, it's considered a fourth and 12. I'm doing air quotes here, like uh, Bissell used to tell people. We're doing air quotes here. (laughs) Um, But if you get that first down, then you continue with the ball and keep going. But it's a fourth and 12. You get one shot to get 12 yards. You don't get it. You know, it's a a turnover and and whatever. So until you have a replacement strategy for an onside kick, uh, you can't go without. You need to have that option. Love it. I also, I'm surprised the NFL hasn't adopted some form of like, um, and I don't want, I don't want to intervene on these. These are your questions, but for this particular one, I'm surprised the NFL hasn't adopted some sort of like CFL hybrid when it comes to the stop clock towards the end of the game. I think that would make 
tight uh, timeouts a little less important. They're vital now. If you have two timeouts and you're down 10 uh, and you're under two minutes and the other team gets a first down, you're done. Um, I would like to see uh, the NFL adopt a little more of a stop. I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I enjoy the fact that it's never over till it's over kind of thing, but yeah, I've never been a huge fan of the, uh, you know, 30 <clears throat> seconds left on the clock and, and people are already walking off the field and they're shaking hands. Yeah. Know? So it, the CFL exactly. rule, if nothing else, it's just okay. When the clock hits zero, you got one play left. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Just that exactly. Alone. Exactly. Will the Raptors repeat? No. Moving on. Better overall team, Lakers or Clippers? Uh, see, the way you phrase it was the better overall team. And I yes, would use team. that thing where it says team is more than just the sum of all its parts. Therefore, I'm giving it to the Clippers. Wow. Uh, chances the Warriors miss the playoffs. This sounds crazy, but... I got a 15%. Wow. I got the Lakers, Clippers, Rockets, Blazers, Thunder, Jazz, maybe Minnesota, maybe Denver, maybe the Warriors. Warriors are going to be in tough. No, Remember, no uh, Clay Thompson till All-Star break. So, oof, that's an interesting. I, when I wrote that, I'm like, season, I, boy, yeah. that is a, that's a tough question. Who yeah. is your, and last but not least, Brock, who is your favorite college basketball team? Well, it's goes along with my favorite college football team. It's the Florida Gators. Uh, I do miss Billy Donovan. So I keep forgetting that he's with the the Thunder. So I have a bit of a soft spot for them too. But uh, Billy Donovan was uh, the coach ever since I started following Florida basketball. And that three-year span, or I guess two-year span, where they went back-to-back and sandwiched a football championship in there was awesome. While Al Horford and Yo Joachim Noah, uh, do you have a one A? Do you have a second sort of a second team that you might appreciate in from in college? Um, no, not really. If you're a Florida fan, you don't really have a one A or one B. I will follow the Canadian kids, so sure. Um, you know that's kind of where I I do it at this point. But uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't really have that. Well, Brock. That was great. Thank you so much for the rapid fire. It was a little bit longer than a minute, but I, uh, I wanted to ask those questions just because I, you know, it's uh, getting your perspective on those, those hot topics. And those are also hot topics in all sports. Getting your perspective is always uh, very fun and interesting to listen to. So thank you very much. And I, I think that just that. about wraps up this episode. You know, I think we're yeah, done. I think so. So I got you on the Saskatchewan. I lost you yeah. on the Clippers. Well, we'll get you on a, uh, on a going out oh, song, oh, maybe oh. for you. <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps, man. Uh, I can see that being uh, pretty decent when you're out there. Oh. Well, that uh, that takes it for this episode. So we're gonna go watch the end of this uh, Broncos Chiefs game. Now Flacco yes, fumbled. Chiefs brought the ball in the end zone, so it's a uh, twenty to six now. Getting a little out of hand. We'll see what happens. And uh, Yankees Astros on the other channel. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening in, guys. God bless. Take care.